This is Amy, and you're listening to the Talking Appalachian Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. We're in the middle of Christmas and New Year's and old Christmas, and so we're going to talk about all of that in this episode, but I hope that you had a good Christmas if you celebrate Christmas on December 25th, and that it was full of joy and memories and happiness and the people that you love, and that if you're celebrating old Christmas on January 6th, that you're all ready for that. So let's just dive in and talk about what we mean by the Appalachian tradition of old Christmas. So Old Christmas is also known as Little Christmas and Green Christmas in the Irish tradition, and also Twelfth Night. It comes from the Julian calendar, which is 2,000 years old and was actually 376 days long instead of 365 days. Now, in the 16th century, Pope Gregory XIII altered the calendar by reducing the number of days to 365 to match the solar cycle. England and Scotland didn't adopt the new calendar, the Gregorian calendar, until the mid-1700s. So what that means is the English and the Scots came to Appalachia. Many of them either didn't know about the Gregorian calendar or they hadn't yet accepted it. So they kept the extra 11 days in their calendar and continued to celebrate Christmas on January 6th. So to this day, you can find a lot of people throughout Appalachia that don't take their trees down until January 6th because they recognize that as old Christmas as their ancestors did. And that's also immortalized in the fiddle tune, Old Christmas Morning. Now, if we back up to New Year's Eve, we can talk about some of the Appalachian folklore surrounding this holiday. So there are churches in the region that will hold a watch service to usher in the new year with prayer, song, worship. And it's also common to hear fireworks and gunshots at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve. And throughout Appalachia, people will be making black-eyed peas for luck in the forthcoming year, maybe mixing them into some Hoppin' John which is a mixture of black-eyed peas, maybe beans, some meat, some onion, rice. This is a recipe that actually dates back to West Africa and was brought to the United States on slave ships. It's been popular in the low country of South Carolina since the 1700s and sort of spread throughout the South. There are lots of theories about why black-eyed peas are considered good luck, but the fact is You probably love them or hate them, which is why my family will have an additional pot of plain old ham, beans, and cornbread to go with the Hoppin' John on New Year's Eve. Now, superstition says that you shouldn't wash or sweep on New Year's Day, or that will bring bad luck. Specifically, it means you'll be washing or sweeping someone out of your life. And unfortunately, you probably can't choose who that person would be. So take that as your sign to just avoid any housework and do something fun, especially because some people take it a little further and say that portends a death in the family. Now let's talk about food. Everybody has their favorite food for the holidays. My family eats all through Christmas and New Year's. Our recipe traditions include 
my mamma's German chocolate cake, which my mom makes from scratch every year. And it takes her a couple of hours, but it's a work of art when she's finished. We also keep a pot of Russian tea boiling on the stove. We keep that simmering from Christmas Eve through Christmas Day. Now, I actually used to think it was really from Russia and couldn't figure out how our family got Russian tea you know, as a as a recipe in the recipe book. But then I read in Southern Living Magazine that it's actually a Southern tradition and it can be served chilled in the summer or, of course, warm in the winter. But it's a blend of citrus juices, allspice and cloves and black tea mixed together with a little bit of sugar, of course. Southern Living says it got its name from the black tea with sugar and lemon that was, quote, the preferred beverage of upper-class Russians in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. So immigrants likely brought it here, and it ended up in these Southern Church cookbooks where my mamma probably got it and started the tradition that we carry forward. But the thing is, the smell of Russian tea is Christmas for me because it was the first thing anyone visiting my mamaw's house at Christmas would help themselves to before they would sit down to visit. Any given time in my mamaw's house at Christmas, half the crowd wouldn't even be related to us. It would be people, you know, in the community, up and down the holler, stopping in for a few minutes to say hello, to dip into the Russian teapot, and sit and visit for a little while. There's a family story that my papa spiked the Russian tea one year, but there's no way to know if that's true other than the fact that Mama said it was the best pot of tea she'd ever made. I would love to hear about your traditions and your recipes for the holidays. If you would head on over to our community on the Talkin' Appalachian page and just chime in. Let me know what recipes, what traditions do you practice. Now, our first word of 2024 is a word with Scottish roots that means unpredictable or erratic. And that's untelling. As in, it's untelling what this year will bring, or it's untelling whether we'll see much snow this winter. Untelling is a simplified version of there's no telling. You can use it to refer to someone's erratic behavior too. As in, he's the untellingest man I've ever met. In Scots dialect, the U becomes an O, as in on telling. I wanted to share with you some of the remarks that I gave during the Verna May Sloan keynote at Heinemann Settlement School's Winter Borough, because I think it's a good way to sort of start 2024 by talking about the way that Appalachia has influenced American culture, and not just in influences and superstitions and traditions, but in lots of different ways. Here's just a little excerpt of some of the things that I said. Lee Smith wrote several years ago, that as she sat in Carnegie Hall and watched the late Ralph Stanley take the stage to sing Oh Death in his high, lonesome, haunting voice, she realized that America is becoming Appalachianized. Now, if you're not familiar with Oh Death, it's on the soundtrack to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which was a movie that starred George Clooney a few years back. And Ralph Stanley, who was born and raised in Dickinson County, Virginia, nearby, just near over the mountain from where I live, Grammy Award-winning bluegrass musician, had a song on that album. When we think about this past year alone, I'm thinking about Silas House, who's been on this podcast a couple of times, being nominated for a Grammy Award for his work on Tyler Childers' video for the song In Your Love. I'm thinking of Southern Living Magazine, and the recipe that emerged on my social media for killed lettuce 
I think I talked about that when I did the episode on the intrusive tea. An Appalachian salad of greens and onions dressed in hot bacon grease. And I'm thinking about Barbara Kingsolver, who won the highest award in literature, the Pulitzer Prize for Demon Copperhead, a book inspired by Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, and written in part at his home in England. It's a book set in my home county of Lee in southwest Virginia and surrounding areas. It's a book that tackles the opioid epidemic and broken systems that are supposed to protect children, but end up harming them instead. And it's a book that's already been banned or challenged, probably for the same reasons that it won the Pulitzer. And it is definitely worth your time. And it is a brilliant, brilliantly written story, in my opinion, um, from a brilliant writer. I'm thinking of a couple of graduates of UVA Wise, graduates of our theater and communication studies programs, Steve Schell and Cam Collins, and their podcast, Old Gods of Appalachia, an eldritch horror podcast that has had 15 million unique downloads since its launch in 2019. They do live shows now of their podcast, and they sell out from coast to coast, and they've created an adaptation to a role-playing game that raised over $2 million on Kickstarter. I'm thinking of Adriana Trigiani's book series, Big Stone Gap, and made into a movie by the same name filmed on location here in Big Stone. I'm thinking of the Hunger Games franchise and the heroine's home place of District 12, a coal mining community in Appalachia, and the list goes on and on. And yet it's still common to hear people say Appalachia is an isolated place. Appalachia is everywhere. It's everywhere, but it's ours. Those of us that claim it as our home place and voice place. You've heard me talk about voice place before. It's ours in the way men in Appalachia will say honey, a term of endearment. It's ours in the way King Solver writes about the word kyarn, which is a variation of carrion, something rotten. It's ours in that intrusive tea that you hear in kilt lettuce. A phonetic variation you'll find in letters written over a hundred years ago when people with little formal education spelled words the way they pronounce them. It's ours in the way Steve and Cam call up their darkest mountain voices from the deepest hollers as they narrate their stories for an audience they call family. It's ours in the vernacular word for something beyond conjecture or expression, a Scottish word, untellin' or ontellin'. When I teach Introduction to Appalachian Studies to students who've never been to Appalachia, I start with a map, and I explain the difference between its political borders that extend to New York and Mississippi and its cultural borders that are much less defined. Cultural borders are about that sense of place that goes beyond just the topography of a place. Place is a word that can go behind any other word and root it down into a space that conjures memory. Some place, home place, and of course, voice place. People and the places that tuned your first voice, according to poet Georgella Lyon. I have talked to you many times over the past year about my voice place and why I do this podcast. And I thank you for listening. And I thank those of you who have continued forward with me and supported the podcast. For those of you who come up and tell me that you listen to it and that you like it. It's hard to really imagine someone out there listening while you're creating the podcast. So to hear that means a lot. I wish you the best of 2024, and I hope you'll keep listening and keep talking Appalachian. 
Hey everybody, I just wanted to remind you that the 2024 Talking Appalachian Desk Calendar is available now. So you'll get a word for every month of the year in 2024, an Appalachian word or expression. You'll get the etymology of the word. These are words that I've been sharing with you all year long in 2023, and I've put them together in a fun and informative calendar. Nice whimsical gift if you're looking for a gift for someone. And they're available now in my Etsy shop. So you can check our community pages, our Patreon page, and the show notes for the link to purchase this calendar. And the proceeds of this calendar go towards supporting this podcast. Thank you as always, and be sure to subscribe on Facebook or Instagram or on our Patreon community. Have a happy new year.